0: Chapter Three, Section Ten, Part One, of the Greek View of Life by Goldsworthy Lowes Dickinson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Geeson. Chapter Three, Section Ten, Friendship, Part One. From what has been said about the Greek view of women it might naturally have been supposed that there can have been little place in their life for all that we designate under the term romance personal affection as we have seen was not the basis of married life and relations with hetairai appear to have been in this respect no finer or higher than similar relations in our own times. Nevertheless, it would be a mistake to conclude from these conditions that the element of romance was absent from Greek life. The fact is, simply, that with them it took a different form, that of passionate friendship between men. Such friendships, of course, occur in all nations and at all times, but among the Greeks they were, we might say, an institution. Their ideal was the development and education of the younger by the older man, and in this view they were recognized and approved by custom and law as an important factor in the state in sparta for example it was the rule that every boy had attached to him some elder youth by whom he was constantly attended admonished and trained and who shared in public estimation the praise and blame of his acts so that it is even reported that on one occasion a spartan boy having cried out in a fight not he himself but his friend was fined for the lapse of self-control the custom of sparta existed also in crete but the most remarkable instance of the deliberate dedication of this passion to political and military ends is that of the celebrated theban band a troop consisting exclusively of pairs of lovers who marched and fought in battle side by side and by their presence and example inspired one another to a courage so constant and high that it is stated that they were never beaten till the battle at Chironea, and when philip after the fight took a view of the slain and came to the place where the three hundred that fought his phalanx lay dead together he wondered and understanding that it was the band of lovers he shed tears and said perish any man who suspects that these men either did or suffered anything that was base greek legend and history in fact resounds with the praises of friends achilles and patroclus pylades and orestes harmodius and Aristogiton solon and peisistratus socrates and alcibiades epaminondas and pelopidas these are names that recall at once all that is highest in the achievement and all that is most romantic in the passion of greece for it was the prerogative of this form of love in its finer manifestations that it passed beyond persons to objective ends linking emotion to action in a life of common danger and toil not only nor primarily the physical sense was touched but mainly and in chief the imagination and intellect. The affection of Achilles for Patroclus is as intense as that of a lover for his mistress, but it has in addition a body and depth such as only years of common labour could impart. Achilles wept, remembering his dear comrade, nor did sleep that conquereth all take hold of him but he kept turning himself to this side and to that yearning for patroclus's manhood and excellent valour and all the toils he achieved with him and the woes he bare cleaving the battles of men and the grievous waves as he thought thereon he shed big tears now lying on his side now on his back now on his face and then anon he would arise upon his feet and roam wildly beside the beach of the salt sea that is the ideal spirit of greek comradeship each supporting the other in his best efforts and aims, mind assisting mind, and hand, hand, and the end of the love residing not in an easy satisfaction of itself, but in the development and perfecting of the souls in which it dwelt of such a love we have a record in the elegies of theognis in which the poet has embodied for the benefit of Curnus, his friend the ripe experience of an eventful life the poems for the most part are didactic in character consciously and deliberately aimed at the instruction and guidance of the man to whom they are addressed but every now and again the passion breaks through which informs and inspires this virile intercourse and in such a passage as the following gives us the key to this and to all the finer friendships of the greeks Lo, I have given thee wings, Wherewith to fly over the boundless ocean and the earth. Yea, on the lips of many shalt thou lie The comrade of their banquet and their mirth. Youths in their loveliness Shall bid thee sound upon the silver flute's melodious breath and when thou goest darkling underground down to the lamentable house of death o oh, yet not then from honour shalt thou cease but wander an imperishable name Curnus, about the seas and shores of greece crossing from isle to isle the barren main horses thou shalt not need but lightly ride sped by the muses of the violet crown and men to come while earth and sun abide who cherish song shall cherish thy renown yea i have given thee wings and in return thou givest me the scorn with which i burn it was his insistence on friendship as an incentive to a noble life that was the secret of the power of socrates listen for example to the account which plutarch gives of his influence upon the young alcibiades Alcibiades, listening now to language entirely free from every thought of unmanly fondness and silly displays of affection, finding himself with one who sought to lay open to him the deficiencies of his mind and repress his vain and foolish arrogance, dropped like the craven cock his conquered wing he esteemed these endeavours of socrates as most truly a means which the gods made use of for the care and preservation of youth and began to think meanly of himself and to admire him to be pleased with his kindness and to stand in awe of his virtue and unawares to himself, there became formed in his mind that reflex image and reciprocation of love, or anteros, that Plato talks of. Though Socrates had many and powerful rivals, yet the natural good qualities of Alcibiades gave his affection the mastery his words overcame him so much as to draw tears from his eyes and to disturb his very soul yet sometimes he would abandon himself to flatterers when they proposed to him varieties of pleasure and would desert socrates who would then pursue him as if he had been a fugitive slave He despised every one else and had no reverence or awe for any but him. The relation thus established may be further illustrated by the following graceful little anecdote: Socrates and Alcibiades were fellow soldiers at Potidaea, and shared the same tent in a stiff engagement both behaved with gallantry at last alcibiades fell wounded and socrates standing over him defended and finally saved him for this he might fairly have claimed the customary prize of valour but he insisted on resigning it to his friend as an incentive to his ambition for noble deeds another illustration of the power of this passion to evoke and stimulate courage is given in the story of cleomachus narrated by plutarch in a battle between the chalcidians and the eretrians the cavalry of the former being hard pressed Cleomachus was called upon to make a diversion. He turned to his friend, and asked him if he intended to be a spectator of the struggle. The youth replied in the affirmative, and embracing his friend, with his own hands buckled on his helmet. Whereupon Cleomachus, charged with impetuosity, routed the foe, And died gloriously fighting. And thenceforth, says Plutarch, the Chalcidians, who had previously mistrusted such friendships, cultivated and honoured them more than any other people. End of chapter 3, section 10, part 1 Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey.